This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. This is a fresh agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonca. Welcome to this little spot in the digital universe. Glad to have you here for a while. I got a really nice note from one of the listeners of this podcast, exactly the kind of note I had hoped to get, someone who's inspired by some of what they're hearing. So thank you. You made one of the best parts of my week a little bit better by reaching out. I hope your holiday season is going well. I know it's busy, but I'm also hoping you are planning some downtime, some recharge time. I certainly am. I have this episode and one more for the year planned, and then it's time to regroup and map out some goals for 2019. I don't do resolutions. I like theme years. This year was my year of yes, and it resulted in more new experiences than I've had in a decade, and sometimes a little bit of overscheduling, but it's been worth it. I've got a theme for next year all picked out, but that can wait until we meet again for the final episode of the year. I'm hoping that some of you will think about your theme for the upcoming year, and I'd like to hear what it is. So today, I have an amazing woman, Stanford University professor Tina Selig, a fangirl for academics who use their skills and their knowledge and their charisma to reach out to non-academics. So Selig is a professor at Stanford, no less, but also an author of 17 books. She's a consultant. Her PhD is in neuroscience, but but her courses are all about innovation and creativity and entrepreneurship, which aligns exactly with the goal of my podcast, to bring in guests who play in all of these areas to give you and me a 30 to 45 minute dose of inspiration and thinking differently about your professional and personal life. So my interview with Selig came a day after I had emceed a huge conference for like 500 high school and college counselors. And these are people who are helping to shape the workforce of the future, right? They advise our kids. Well, they help them access the programs to get them to the right higher place of learning. Well, at this event was, um, I had not heard this title before, a futurist. And I just love this title. And if that were my title, I would be dressed like trinity of the matrix and i would just walk around looking all mysterious and amazing um this futurist looked like just normal guy right but i was riveted to his presentation which was almost an hour and that's a long time to be like on the edge of your seat riveted especially with the attention span of most people in society these days which is now down to the level of a goldfish like seven seconds right so one of the most interesting parts was when he described the job skills of today versus the job skills we'll need in the very near future i took a picture of the screen when he put them up because i wanted to share them with you but i admit i have no idea what some of them mean so first, the job skills needed for today. Complex problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, people management, emotional intelligence, negotiation, judgment and decision making, cognitive flexibility, service orientation. I'm familiar with all of those, right? And we've probably heard for the last eh, about five years or so, most of those. Okay, now the skills of the future. Boundless curiosity, freestyling, emergent leadership, constructive uncertainty, complex ethics, design logic, sense-making, deep generalist, and this one, post-normal creativity. What the hell is that, right? 
That's what I thought when I first saw it. What is that? But even that list, which I've read many times over, it causes you to think differently, even if you don't know exactly what every one of those things are. As you try to comprehend those skills in the new world of work, you are thinking more about what that means as you read over these job skills of the future. So if we're going to have radical relevance in our own professional life, we need post-normal creativity. And I looked it up which is why I'm saying that it has to do with being responsible for our creative actions, knowing how much we're already using our creativity and how our creativity helps us move toward our vision. And speaking of vision, let me tell you quickly about Dave from New Age Aerial. Dave and Fred have a fantastic vision and they are living it through drone technology and use. New Age Aerial has the FAA licenses and expertise to help engineers on the ground get the shots they need of structures and equipment so they can fix our bridges and our roads and our dams or anything else. And there's this huge push right now from the federal government to get our infrastructure in order. New Age Aerial is standing by ready to help those agencies secure these massive infrastructure projects. They can work on a macro scale to help the federal government, but they also have a lot of local clients. We're talking real estate agencies, land developers, movie directors. You tell them what you need from the air and they can get it. And I love that Dave and his team love doing this. Uh, I I mentioned last week, uh, sometimes he'll just send me a picture out of the blue of some beautiful shot and tell me, say, hey, look what I got to do today. And it's that kind of joy, I think, that we all crave to have in our professional lives. So reach out to Dave and his team at NewAgeAerial.com if you need any drone shots. Use the phrase Fresh Agenda, the name of this podcast, and he'll take great care of you. Okay, class time now for Professor Selig. Pull up a seat to hear her words on creativity. Tina Selig joins me now. Thank you so much for your time this morning. And I'm, I'm so curious, after looking at all of your materials, uh, how did you start to study creativity? Why were you interested in that? It's such an easy question, and it's really a complicated answer. Um, I actually spent the first part of my career as a neurophysiologist. I did my PhD in neuroscience and went out into industry and came back to Stanford to help build the Stanford Technology Ventures Program, which is the Entrepreneurship Center. And one of my colleagues was teaching a class on creativity, and he didn't want to do it anymore. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that sounds like so fun. Pick me, pick me. Can I, can I teach that class? So it was really a bit of serendipity and a little bit of boldness on my part. And once I got in the door and started teaching classes on this topic, I really thought that this was one of the most pivotal things we all need to learn about is essentially creative problem solving and looking at the world as opportunity rich and that we each have the tools for coming up with solutions. And I was hooked. Well, you know, I mean, you studied the science side of it, studying the brain, and then also, you know, kind of um, the more, um, I don't know, esoteric kind of side of creativity. Where, Where do they come together for you? I mean, are certain people born not creative? Oh, you know, it's funny. I get asked that question all the time, and it's really interesting that, that, that that's a question people are really curious about, and it's because we don't ask that question about other disciplines. Of course, we know that there are some people who are better at math than others or better at science or better athletes or better musicians, 
but we assume that everyone can get better. I mean, we, we all go to school and we all take math and we all take science and we all do some sort of athletic activity when we're a kid. And I think the same should be true about creativity. In fact, we are, most of us, very, very creative when we're children. It's rare that you would find a child who isn't just naturally very creative. So our job should be not just to teach it, but to enhance those very natural skills that we all have. Okay, so, and how do we enhance those skills? How can all of us be more creative? Really good question. You know, there are some very easy things we can do in our everyday life, but unfortunately our school system is not necessarily tuned for that. Um, For example, giving open-ended questions without a right answer. You know, if you're talking to your kid or talking to a colleague and asking an open-ended problem as opposed to a closed-ended problem, you give people the chance to come up with a wide range of possible solutions. Also, encouraging people to unpack and challenge their assumptions about um, anything that they're doing in their life. Also, to connect and combine ideas in fun ways. I mean, the more dispersed inputs you have, the more you can put them together in interesting ways to come up with some really new and and interesting and fresh ideas. So there are lots of things you can do on an everyday uh, basis at home with your family, and there are definitely things you can teach in a classroom. One of the TED Talks I watched with you uh, showed some unique and interesting exercises that you do with your students to enhance creativity. And, I mean, it looked like more like play, really. Well, of course it's play. In fact, it should feel like play. I often... Um, say that, you know, if you get out of a brainstorming session and you don't feel really good, um, you've done it wrong. It is something that should be very generative, and especially when you're brainstorming with other people, um, when people are building on your, on your idea and exploring the possibilities, there's something very um, invigorating about that process. And tell me a little bit about some of the exercises you did. You would, you would have them combine items to try to create something new. And, and I've often heard it said there are really no new ideas. It's just combination of existing ideas. And that's kind of what creativity is all about. Right. I mean, if you look around us, most ideas that we see have been inspired by something else in the world. Um, you know, you looked at, you know, people might look at a bird and say, hey, you know, what if I could fly? I'm, I, my guess is that if there weren't birds, people wouldn't have been as inspired to think about how might I create some wings so that I could do that too. And so looking around you and putting things together in unusual ways. I often give my students very provocative uh, assignments where I might give them um, some, you know, a few, uh, some crazy items that don't make any sense together, like a basket of um, strange things that I would have picked up at a novelty store and say, okay, put these together and come up with a business idea inspired by these ideas. And it's really fun. You know, it takes just a couple of seconds and they realize, oh my gosh, this is actually a pretty cool idea. Do you discuss in your class any of the um, cultural impacts um, on creativity? I mean, does it matter where you grew up or what what cultural, um, you know, aspects you've been exposed to? You bet. I mean, that is a huge variable. We, we all come sort of pre-programmed by uh, the environment we came from that definitely affects the way we think, the way we behave. One of the things that's interesting to me, though, is that once you get people into a setting like a classroom or an office, you can tune the culture so that everybody feels more empowered to come up with creative solutions. I've had situations where I go to some part of the world and they say, you know, what you do at Stanford is really interesting, but it would never work here. 
And I say, I just don't believe that. And so in a very short time with their students, they, I can get them to start thinking very creatively because I've created a culture in that class that allows it. Um, you realize when they go back to their other classes, it's expected that they sit there and quietly and, you know, really follow directions as opposed to asking provocative questions. Uh, what I thought you were going to ask is about the cultural implications of creativity, which is something I also think a lot about. I'm teaching a brand new class this quarter, which is called Inventing the Future. And I'm teaching with a, a really wonderful person. Uh, her name is Lisa Solomon, and she's a futurist, and I teach creativity. And so the class is about looking at how do you generate ideas uh, for the future and then how do you evaluate them. And every single week, the students also do a debate, and we differ, take a different frontier technology every week where the students have to debate the utopian and dystopian futures of these different technologies. So it might be lab-grown meat or um, colonizing other planets or AI personal assistants. And each week we sort of look at what are all the pros and what are the cons of these futures that we're creating. You know, I, it's so fascinating you brought this up because just yesterday I was at a conference where I heard a futurist speak and the conference was about job creation, kind of the jobs of the future, the workforce mm-hmm. of the future and, uh, and the characteristics of people uh, that people would need in the workforce of the future, uh, future. things like boundless curiosity and freestyling and, and uh, con- you know, constructive uncertainty and, and post-normal creativity that they would need. I mean, job skills that, you know, certainly a lot of us did not grow up with, but that are needed in the gig economy. So it sounds like people that are interested in, in workforce placement would be doing very, very well to take your course and your futurist's course. I think the thing that you bring up is the future is coming at us much faster than it did in the past. When I was a kid, um, and that's a long time ago, in my high school class, we were debating, you know, the impact of cloning. Well, we had decades to think about it before it was something that actually we had to um, implement, right? There were, the concepts were there long before we could actually commercialize these ideas. Now, the development of new ideas is happening so fast that we have to be evaluating the impact of the technologies that we're creating. And also, people need to be prepared for this new world that is coming at us very, very quickly. I wonder generationally if there are differences in, in maybe not the ability to be creative, but the willingness to embrace creativity. I mean, it seems, you know, people of my generation, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, and maybe baby boomers before Gen Xers are very used to, okay, you get a job, this is the job you're going to have for the rest of your life, this is your pension, and now, of course, that's all been blown up and disrupted. Uh, so perhaps this generation is more apt to be creative. Do you find that? or not? I think this generation, from my perspective, is very eager to have these skills. They know that they're going to be changing jobs much more quickly than their parents did. And they're really willing to try a lot of things and keep what works. The thing that I always have to remind my students is not to be so stressed out about their first job. Uh, they still get worried about, you know, if I get on, if I get on the wrong train, if I get on the wrong path, um, am I going to be, am I really ruining my, my prospects? And I remind them there's nothing that they can do that will be wasted. Even if they have a job or an opportunity that wasn't a good match, they will certainly have learned 
some really interesting skills. And even if they have a bad boss, they'll learn what they don't want to do the next time they're in a leadership position. As you travel around to different organizations and talk to them about creativity in the business world, what are companies and people that you talk with most curious about? What do they want to know? Well, they want to know how do they embed an attitude of creative problem solving in the organization. And that's a really tricky thing to do because if it doesn't come from the top, it's not going to happen. People are looking at what the rules are, the rewards, the incentives. All of these things impact the type of behavior I'm going to have in that organization. And so if I see that people come up with a big idea and it gets shot down, or people fail at something that was a bold concept that that just didn't work out, and they get punished, they're not going to go do it. So you need to create a culture that um, really supports the creative problem-solving process, which is messy. It is messy. Not all new ideas work. Some are ahead of their time. Some uh, just are not going to work technically. And so you need to create a way for people to test ideas really fast and get some feedback. In fact, uh, one of my colleagues, Alberto Savoia, has a new book coming out about, um, it's called The Right It. And it's about all of his work helping organizations do small experiments, which he calls pretotypes, as opposed to prototypes, these mm. very, very early experiments to test to see if you're doing, if, if you've got some, some idea that really makes sense. The biggest problem that companies have is sometimes they fall in love with their idea as opposed to falling in love with the problem. Now, do you, does that make sense to you? Sometimes what happens is I come up with an invention. Oh, everyone's going to love my XYZ. But really, they needed to fall in love with the problem they were going to solve. And if they were in love with the problem, they would be willing to iterate much more on the solution as opposed to trying to push that one solution through. Fascinating. So who does this well? I mean, I can think of maybe some companies like a SpaceX or, or you know, a Google, but are there particular companies or industries that surprised you that are doing this quite well, fostering a culture of creativity? Well, you can look at companies that have really, uh, in our world, and you've mentioned a few, that really do this well. I mean, Amazon's a great example. Uh, you know, they are always looking at um, unmet needs, but also like Amazon Web Services. What an incredible thing. Here they were in the business of selling products online, realized they had this unused capacity at some point of this these servers and thought, well, gee, maybe we can sell that. And that's turned into just an enormous part of their business. No one would have thought that that was their business, but they were able to see the opportunity there that that others probably would not have seen. Boy, and the cost of not innovating and being creative, I, you know, it, it comes to mind Sears, which, you know, had global reach and carried everything and had catalogs for everything and just totally missed the boat on that next iteration. Yeah, there's an exercise I do in my class that I, I really think is, is um, helps people get a handle on this. And I might have them take, no, it could be anything. Could, let's take a suitcase. Um, and it could be anything. It could be a suitcase, a backpack, a, a phone, uh, whatever it is you have in your life that you use. And I say, okay, get together with another person and come up with all the things you don't like about this suitcase, all the things that can be improved. And they make a list of all the things that they don't like. And I say, okay, invent a new suitcase. 
So they come up with a new suitcase, and it maybe it has different wheels or a different handle or it has helium in it to make it lighter. So they solve all these problems. And I go, okay, that's all well and good. But why do we use a suitcase in the first place? And they first are baffled, and then we sort of unpack that nobody actually really wants to use a suitcase. I mean, nobody loves packing <laughs> a suitcase. Nobody <laughs> likes carrying a suitcase. Right. No one likes, you know, suitcases getting lost at the airport. Nobody likes a suitcase. But we use it because we're solving another problem. And it takes them a little bit of time to realize the problem that a suitcase is solving is having things you need at your destination. So how about if you solve that problem? And then you start realizing there are some really interesting ideas of having the things you need at your destination. You know, maybe it's 3D printed clothes that, right, I get to my destination, I put in a little, you know, code into the 3D printer at my hotel, and it prints out my jacket. Wow. Okay? Or maybe it's a suitcase that travels around the world independent of you. Maybe it gets packed once, and you just go online and go, suitcase, take me to go to Paris. Suitcase, take me to Cape Town. You know, and the suitcase meets you there. I mean, there are all sorts of things you could come up with. Maybe you change social norms about what you wear. So you say, you know what, we, we all wear this uniform, and I only need one more, and it folds up and fits in my purse. So, are, are entrepreneurs more likely to think like this? Because they usually have to innovate, and they're usually alone, at least in the beginning. Well, yes, and these, the, the successful entrepreneurs, the unsuccessful ones, are going to come up with these incremental solutions, like a suitcase that has, you know, you know I don't know, that's easier to clean. But as the person who comes up, with this 3D printed clothes, they're going to eat your lunch, right? And so this is what happened with companies like Sears, right? Someone came and solved a different, realized what people really wanted, and then solved that problem, and these old school companies go out of business. What do you encourage your students or the companies that you're consulting with, what do you encourage them to do to boost their own creativity? And I mean, do you, is it reading? Is it networking with other people? Is it travel? Is it, what do you encourage them to do? The students, well, first of all, you need, you need a base of knowledge in order to work, right? So you need a, um, if you want to invent a cure for cancer or come up with a flying car, you need to know about engineering. You need to know about biology. You need to have these tools. So you definitely need a depth of knowledge in at least one discipline in order to uh, be able to realize these ideas. Um, you also need to practice these creativity skills, you know, really stretch your imagination. And this can be practiced every single day. What these tools like challenging assumptions and reframing problems and connecting, combining ideas. And just like any muscle, these skills can be strengthened. And you have to have the right attitude. You need to have the mindset that problems are opportunities, and you need to be willing to really um, try things that may or may not work. What excites you personally about the current research in creativity, either uh, you know, just creativity on its own or in our understanding of neural networking? How, what excites you? Well, what really excites me is the fact that lots of schools are now embracing this and are saying this is we need to be teaching these skills to our kids. You know, as you talked about, you went to a conference on the future workforce. I think people realize that these tools are really necessary and I'm very much hoping that our schools and the way that we educate young people will shift in a dramatic way to 
prepare them for this type of work and this type of um, engagement with the world. It is not good enough to be prepared to answer a multiple choice test because guess what? When you get out into the real world, that's far from the way life is. You know, here you're doing your job. Does anyone give you a multiple choice test every day? Yeah, no. Every week? Tell, asking you what you're doing? No. You have an open-ended problem. You know, create a compelling program. Within that, those constraints, you can do whatever you want. So we need to prepare people for those types of jobs, and I think we absolutely are getting closer to that. It, it, you know, just comes to mind now. I have a, a my husband is a sixth grade teacher, and oh, really? cl- classrooms have pretty much been set up the same way, you know, for forever since the eighteen hundreds. They've been pretty much so desks in rows and and that sort of thing. Um, are there schools that are kind of disrupting education, and can you do that when you have such a bureaucracy and structure in place? Yeah, it's a really, really big problem. There, obviously, there are. I mean, there are a lot of private schools who do things, and there are a lot of teachers who, you know, don't ask for permission. They beg for forgiveness and do some things that are really creative in their classrooms. Uh, it is critical, and I think one of the there's exciting technology on the horizon that's also going to help this. I'm a real fan of virtual reality in education, and I think we're going to enter a future very soon where. Um, we will be able to take students to all different places in the world using virtual reality. Imagine a situation where a kid is excited about being an astronaut, and they can don the virtual reality goggles and be an astronaut or be a neurosurgeon or be um, a marine biologist and go under the ocean. And that experience will propel them forward in their education, learning the things they need to so that they can do those in real life. Excellent. And I ask this of all of my guests. What do you do personally to kind of replenish your own well of creativity to do the work you do? Uh, thanks for asking. Um, I do, besides writing, and I do a lot of writing um, about creativity, but other things as well. And I, it really stretches me. I give myself uh, some challenges, but I also do art. And uh, my recent obsession is doing collage. But my collages have been constrained. I only use New Yorker covers. So I oh. cut them up and put them together in these very unusual ways. And uh, it's been really satisfying. And it does stretch me in, and stretches my imagination and certainly, you know, fills my, my cup with, uh, with, you know, new thinking and new ways of approaching the world. Boy, I like that. Collages. Okay. I usually go on hikes. I know everyone has a different way to kind of well, do I it. I also do that. I, we have a new puppy, so I spend a lot of time <laughs> hiking around with our new puppy. But it is, um, I, I find that uh, doing things that are not what you do every day, you know, I'm writing all the time, doing art stretches me in really different directions. And it might be cooking, you know, mm-hmm. go and whip up something new with a bunch of ingredients. Another way to stretch your imagination. It's important to try something different or something new to get out of the, your paradigm, get out of your day, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's not that hard. You know, you just have to make it a priority. You know, maybe it's going to a restaurant you haven't gone to before or picking up a book that you probably wouldn't have out of a, in a domain that you don't know anything about or, you know, taking the long way home and seeing things you didn't see before. Fascinating. All right. So where can we find more information about you? I know um, you have books that you've suggested, and, and I'd love you to suggest your own as well. And, and where can we find more of your research and, and more of your good teachings? So 
so I have a super simple website that people can go to and see a snapshot of things I've done and, and get a sense of the books I've written. It's just tinaselig.com. So it's T-I-N-A-S-E-E-L-I-G. Fascinating. And I would also suggest our listeners go to your TED Talks because um, I found, found those riveting. So excellent. And my newest one is, is on how to be lucky. And uh, I've been delighted by the response I've gotten. Oh, how to be lucky. I love yeah, that. Have you not seen that? It's, it's uh, about the little risks you can take to make yourself luckier. Oh, fantastic. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Tina Selig, so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for being here on A Fresh Agenda. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tina Selig. She has 17 books out on creativity and many TED Talks that you can tap for more information. It's a topic that has fascinated her for decades and is now on the cutting edge of where the world of work is heading. So we have one more episode before the year ends, and I'd love to hear from you. Once you think about it, pick a theme for your 2019. Let me know about it. Mine this year was the year of yes. I have mine for next year already set, and I'll talk about it on the next episode. You could reach out to me through my website, christinamendonza.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love for you to visit my sponsors, New Age Aerial and New Age Designs. We've also welcomed a new sponsor on my weekly digital newscast called The Shortlist. Sierra at Tahoe has come on and partnered with me and... Pat McIntosh to produce ski reports each week. So you can look for Pat Mac Ski Reports sponsored by Sierra Tahoe. It's on my weekly digital newscast called The Shortlist, which you can find by either subscribing to my YouTube channel or following one of my socials. You can also find me Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. till 9 a.m. Pacific on KFBK Radio. It's an iHeartMedia station. You can get it either on KFBK.com as well or go through your iHeartRadio app if you're not in the Sacramento area. Once again, This has been A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonca. Let's stay connected. This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.